helper. And here's an excerpt from, from uh, David Fairchild uh, talking about what was taking place sometime between the birth of Jesus Christ and about two years later than um, the scripture that Monica actually read from just a few minutes ago. He said this, he said, at the darkest moment in the birth narrative of Christ, just before his entry into the world as a vulnerable baby, Herod attempts to thwart God's promises by murdering all the boys under two years in the small town of Bethlehem. Babies lost their lives by the sword that day. And no matter how insignificant history views this, no matter how small this may seem compared to greater tragedies in the ancient Near East, God records this so that we'll never forget the links that Satan will go to kill hope. And so in, in the middle of this horrible tragedy uh, of these children, I mean, it's, it's unconscionable, it's um, unthinkable, uh, almost unspeakable, um, I mean, it's just difficult to even talk about um, that someone would do something that deplorable. Uh, we're reminded that this is not new, um, that evil and wickedness has been going around for thousands of years in this world. Um, that, that I think times like that and times like this, I think are supposed to, supposed to break um, the numbness that we have that, to think that this world is is okay to think that we're okay just by ourselves, um, that, that God, um, God pulls the veil back. He doesn't do this, but he wants the veil to be lifted up so that we know that we recognize that this world is very broken and that we're, we're broken with it without Jesus Christ. And, um, the only hope is, is Christ is for Christ, um, to be the King and the Lord of, of our lives. And, I, uh, I want us to take a few moments and to pray for these parents of these children, uh, to pray for the other children that are, that are left behind, to pray for the teachers, the administrators, to pray for that town, and, and quite legitimately to pray for our nation and pray for our world that is so broken. Here's what I want to do. I want to I list these names uh, for you, and, and there's a... You may be able to see it a little bit. There's a, a screenshot that I took and, and uh, sent it um, from the New York Times this morning um, that you can, you can read some of these, these names on this list. And then we're just going to pause for a moment and, and, and pray. So here's the list. First of all, the children. Charlotte Bacon, Daniel Barden, Olivia Engel, Josephine Gay, Anna M. Marquez-Green, Dylan Hockley, Madeline F. Sue, Catherine Hubbard, Chase Kowalski, Jesse Lewis, James Mattioli, Grace McDonald, Emily Parker, Jack Pinto, Noah Posner, Caroline Previtti, Jessica Rakos, Aviel Richmond, Benjamin Wheeler, Allison Wyatt, and then the ladies who were the teachers and administrators, and Rachel Devino, the principal who was Dawn Hawksprung, Anne Marie Murphy, Mary Sherlock, Victoria Soto, Lauren Rousseau. Let's just stop. And wherever God leads you in this, to pray to Jesus for these families. 
for these administrators, for this town, for, for these other children, or wherever God takes you. Uh, let's focus in our prayers uh, to the Lord on behalf of these folks. Take a moment. Jesus, this is such a saddening episode. It's a very sickening episode. I know for, for folks in here, there are those that when they heard the news, it just made their hearts sink. It, it makes people literally sick to their stomachs. It makes men and women and students and kids to cry, to weep. For people that we don't even know, but just because... There's a love uh, for, for a fellow man. God, we lift up um, the families of these kids. God, um, there's no words. There's no, there's no money that can replace those kids. Um, there's, there's nothing that will, that will replace the void that's in the life for these children whose lives have been so tragically cut short. Um, there's no justification. There's nothing that could be understood that would help a person to, to be okay with this. Lord, it's just plain evil. I declare this. I declare, Jesus, you love those families. Jesus, you love those teachers that protected the other children. You love those other administrators. You love those other kids. You love the parents who they don't have any children now because it was their only child or, or uh, uh, those that they've, they've got a child that's been lost and they've got their other children as well. For the siblings of those kids that were gunned down. For the husbands of these, the wives uh, that gave their lives to protect the children. God, in themselves, they're inconsolable without an understanding of who God really is. They're inconsolable. But God, you can console. You can relate. We have a God that lost his own son. Because he gave his own son. Sacrificed his own son. Because of the others that he loves. And God, you relate. Dad, you relate to this. Jesus, you relate to those, to the kids who lost their lives. To those who saw their siblings or saw their fellow uh, students um, be gunned down. 
And you're the hope, God. You're their hope. You're our hope right here. You're the hope for this entire world. We focus our eyes on Christ today, declaring that there is no life outside of Christ, that there is no hope outside of Christ. Touch them and heal them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I just I challenge you guys that, uh, that you, would, you would be sad about this, that you would lament, that you would let your heart break, uh, that you're, you would pray for these, for these other children that are left behind, for these other families, and let it, let it affect the way that you view the, own, the city that you live in. Let it affect the way that you look at your own children, the way that you look at your spouse if you're married, uh, the way that you look at other schools that are in our area, in our own city, that we look around and say, okay, God, what, what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we respond to these kind of things? And I just pray that our blinders would come off, that the world needs Jesus, and that we tell the world, we tell the world about him, and that we would serve our city, we'd serve those that are around us with a great love. Um, a friend of mine in the Acts 29 network, Darren Patrick, he said this. He said, a religion that teaches that God lost his son surely has resources to deal with tragedy. And I'll bring that to us as well. Our God is a God that understands. He's walked through this himself. And I want to end this little part before I jump into today's um, teaching 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this, you guys. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You know what that... That means, if you break it down, you guys, it means that God's suffering, Jesus' suffering on the cross is what brings us comfort. In the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of, of this unconscionable act, is to be able to say, God, you didn't leave us. You didn't leave us in this broken world. You suffered so that we could be comforted. And be comforted by that and also take that comfort to others. Let's pray again. God, uh, do a work in me. Um, surely you could call some of us to do something for that school. Um, and if you do, God, let's just obey. Uh, but for most, for most in, in this church, Sojourn Church, most in Huntsville, Alabama, you're not going to call them to do something specifically for Sandy Hook Elementary School or for or for the city there, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, Lord. But you are going to call us to be faithful in, in looking inside our own neighborhoods and looking inside our own, our own school systems and inside our own um, cities, inside our, where we work, uh, that, that you cause us, Lord, to, to look at those that, that they're lost, that they need Christ in their brokenness, that you help us to see those that are poor, that are wounded, that are, that are in need bandaging for those that are trapped, God. And that with great compassion, not because we're greater than them, but because Christ is greater than us, we respond and we serve them. We serve the poor. We serve the needy. 
because we're all poor and needy and we all need Christ. So Lord, do a work within us and even through this moment and the moments throughout the rest of this gathering, God, in each and every one of us, Lord, just show us that next step that we're supposed to take in response to this. In Jesus' name, amen. The text that we're in today, guys, is Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. I'm going to jump right into it. Um, As we do that, um, next week uh, when we come in, it's going to be the 23rd, um, and so two days before Christmas. um, And what I'm going to do on that on, on next Sunday is, is uh, I'm going to prepare a message um, on, um, on Santa, um, the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, and St. Nicholas, and talk about what things are made up, what uh, things are legendary, and what are things that have changed the world in the middle of all of, all of that. And uh, there's, some, there's some misunderstandings, there's some myths in the middle of the Christmas story and obviously Santa Claus and all of that. And uh, um, I, I will be talking very truthfully about uh, Santa in here. So if there's just for you parents, if you've got little ones, just you know, be aware of that during that moment. Um, but, but we want to focus in a couple of days before Christmas just on, on what the real Christmas story is. Um, so you guys prepare for that. Uh, we are having a, um, a Christmas Eve service the next night. Uh, so not tomorrow night, but uh, Christmas Eve Monday. In a week, it'll be from five to five forty-five, and um, uh, this is one of it's one of the most special things. Especially if you got family coming in from out of town, you got some neighbors. There are folks that they'd never step foot into uh, into a, a Christian service, but they'll come to Christmas Eve service uh, because you invited them. So invite them. We'll, we'll uh, be done by about five forty-five, and uh, so there's plenty of time after that for other Christmas Eve uh, traditions that you guys may have. Um, speaking of traditions, uh, that's part of what we're talking about today in uh, Mark uh, 7, 1 to 23. Let's uh, jump in the first few verses here. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with, with defiled hands? So we're talking a little bit about the traditions that these Pharisees, that the Jews had, uh, that, that Jesus recognized in this. Um, now this is for actual input from you guys. Um, what, are, what are some of the church traditions that you grew up with um, that's been a part of your life either as a child or even earlier in your adult life, um, church traditions um, that could include Christmas, but, but things that have to do with church. And so just kind of speak, speak them out. Who, who has some ideas? Church traditions. <laughs> awesome. In case you didn't hear that, King James Version only. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for everyone, right? Yeah, that's what he said. All right? Hmm? Communion once a quarter. Yes. I grew up in a church that was like that. Okay? Wearing a suit and tie. Definitely. Tradition. Okay? What else? Foot washing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Brethren churches. Okay? And some others as well. Some other traditions. 
Potluck, giddy up. Yes, we like potluck. Um, what else? Other traditions? Saying the Apostles' Creed. Okay, very good. What music on an organ? Uh huh. There you go. Yep. Okay. Yep. A church building that has a steeple. All right. Other traditions. Again, three services a week, which would be Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yep. Okay. Visitation, which would normally be on Monday night or Tuesday night. Yeah, depending on where. Yeah, but same night every week. I grew up in one of those churches as well. What else? Other traditions. Special offerings. Yes. Uh, which And there were different names for those kind of special offerings. What can you throw? A love offering. Yep. Did somebody throw out another one? Wesley and Monica offering. Yes, that is. That's right. That would be next week. Get ready. Awesome. Huh? Lottie Moon. Yes. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Lottie Moon. Couldn't figure out why that lady couldn't get paid off, but uh, yeah. What else? Okay. Skipping church when the Gideons came. All right. No drums. All right. Hymns. Okay. A building fund. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Any other, other thoughts? Solos. Special music, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was always special, wasn't it? Um, there are, there are, um, there are healthy traditions in churches and there's unhealthy churches in tradition, uh, uh, in tr- traditions in churches. Um, and, for the most part, traditions are unbiblical. Unbiblical. Now, in case that shocks you a little bit, the word unbiblical is not a bad word. Most of the things that we do in the way that we worship Christ, the way we disciple others, it's not things that have been prescribed by Scripture. Um, and so the, the way we go about things, I mean, like just about everybody, every church around will use sound support, you know, electricity and whatnot. Um, to, to assist with things. And that's, that's something that's not prescribed in Scripture. There's lots and lots of things not prescribed in Scripture, the way that you disciple kids. Um, uh, the list, list goes on, on and on. I, I threw this question out on Facebook. got a few responses of just some healthy or unhealthy things. Um, here's just a, a few of them. Um, couple, uh, several people mentioned Advent uh, and uh, lighting of candles, lighting of Advent candles. Um, which one person said was a reminder in the time of preparation and expectation leading up to the birth of Christ. And uh, the, the, more, the, the more I grow in my faith um, and in being part of Christianity, the more and more I'm appreciating more the ancient things. Um, I'm, I'm just about to really get full, full on with, with, with Advent and with Lent, uh, just because that outside of, I think, in the church calendar, it's, there's like Lenten season, there's Advent season, and I think everything else is called regular, regular season or regular calendar, something, something close to that. Y'all can correct me later on if you, if, uh, if you would. But, um, uh, but just knowing that the, the two really high points within, 
within the year is that Jesus came and that Jesus died and uh, rose again. And we've been, we've been doing readings in Advent for, for, uh, for years, but never like we have this year. And so a focus that we've done it almost every day. Uh, there's been a couple where just late nights and uh, parties and what, whatnot, and so we had to double up other nights. But, but really, there's been a focus to where we're digging in. It's like, God, help us to really ponder what it means that God came. And I'm just very grateful for it. And I, and I, I challenge you guys. There's some really good traditions uh, that are there. Um, there's some unhealthy ones uh, that were listed. Um, one, uh, one person mentioned um, putting grape juice in place of wine during communion. And they mentioned that that seemed legalistic and how they went to a church once that offered both to each according to their conscience. Um, uh, definitely had somebody mention how healthy potlucks are. Anybody got an amen for that? All right. Yeah. What's on the menu tonight? Potluck. Bring it. Right. Um, and another men- person mentioned even the healthy things can become unhealthy when done from rote memory to the exclusion of necessary change required to keep our presentation of the message fresh. And, um, an example was coming to a church, but sitting in the same pew or in the same seat as you always have sat, um, which could mean that you're not really open to, to, uh, uh, spending time with new or or different people. And, um, so anyway, there were, there were, um, just some good, some good input, good input this morning on some things. Mark explains here that, um, these are not convictions from God that the Jews, that the Pharisees were following through, but they're traditions of man. Uh, these were traditions that were unbiblical. Um, and note that Jesus didn't deny that the disciples broke the traditions. They did. They had broken these traditions. And Jesus took the time to reveal that not only was it unbiblical, but it was ungodly what these guys were doing. And so they're talking about being defiled. That we're, you know, when you're defiled in the marketplace, you, you must wash your hands before you eat. And it begs the question, what was it about the marketplace that defiled them? Was it because they're out and about? Was it because they were in the streets? Was it because they would touch a scarf here or, or touch this here? Primarily, it wasn't that. It's because they would come in contact with, Jew, with non-Jews, with Gentiles. What the Pharisees didn't like was that when they would come in contact with people that weren't real followers of Jesus Christ, that it was almost like there was a sin germ that would rub up against them when they would get around other sinners, people that they would consider sinners. And so that's the reason why they said we, we wash really carefully after we get around sinners is uh, it's what they're really saying. Um, the, the text in here says unless they wash their hands properly. And if you, if you kind of look deeper in the, uh, in the Greek here, it, it said basically that they washed with a fist. Uh, and um, what, what that probably meant was the way that they washed was, it probably they were describing that we washed all the way up to our fist, up to our wrists. Or it could have even meant that, man, when we, before we eat, we wash all the way up to our elbows. That they were saying, man, we... We make sure that we're clean. Very self-congratulatory. I mean, can you, can you see it? I mean, put yourself in, in their place. These Pharisees are talking to God about how they are so holy. Kind of crazy, huh? 
He's basically saying, why, why aren't other people holy like we are? Where is it um, that you have a tendency to be a, a Pharisee? Where is it that you look at others and you say, man, I've been around that person. I need to, I need to take a bath. I need to wash because they are such a, a sinner. Uh, when we ignore God's clear commands uh, to follow our own rules of acceptability, um, there's an irony in the middle of what they consider as defilement. Um, the Pharisees were speaking of their commitment to holiness by telling how they wash their hands after they brush up against a non-believer. Right? To them, to them, they, they thought that they were tainted by being around them. And the crazy irony is that they're talking, they're talking about their godliness and their holiness, about staying away from sinners while God himself showed his godliness by walking with sinners. Again, that connects us to Advent, to the coming of Jesus Christ. That instead of him saying, man, I'm staying away, I'm keeping myself clean, I'm keeping myself pure and spotless, I'm not going to rub shoulders with these sinners. Instead, he said, I'm going to leave behind different elements of glory, humble myself, and I'm going to rub shoulders with them. And I'll smell like them. People will assume that I am just like them. People will assume that I'm a sinner just like them, especially because I'm with them. Because I'm with them, people, some will, some will say, well, you're condoning what they do or who they are. And Jesus said, I love them. I love sinners. What these Pharisees do and what really what Phariseeism, what it really is, is it, it's stating that I'm good because I do this unbiblical thing. You're bad because you do not do this unbiblical thing. They won't throw in that, but parenthetically, it's unbiblical. This thing that I do or this thing that I don't do now becomes the ruler by which I go and judge everybody else. It becomes the filter and the glasses by which I look at everyone else to say, let's see how good people are. Well, let's see how closely they look like me. And see, the thing is, is that, guys, we're, we're very free to glean from unbiblical tradition. Um, I'm, I, I can continue just to say, right, God, show us in, 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 the, in the decades and in the centuries and the millennia that go before us all the way back to the birth of the church. God, what can we glean from your people? What can we glean from the church of, of Christ, the church of Jesus? What can, we, what can we draw from it? And, uh, and sometimes we'll pull some stuff from ancient, ancient things. Other times we'll pull from right here in our own city or in the modern day that we live in. For things that will help us and assist us and, and to be free. To be free to be able to, to tap into traditions that are in the church or to leave them behind. Being free to be able to worship Christ and God in the way that the Lord uh, Leads us, and as a result, uh, I love that within Sojourn Church, I mean, we got people that have grown up, and their thought and their framework is very liturgical, and others that it's not—they don't even know what liturgy liturgy is, you know. 
so very free. And, and I love the diversity that's, that's within them. Um, Jesus said this. He said, uh, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Basically, this is, this is how Jesus defined hypocrisy. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Or in verse 13, which we'll get to in a minute, he said, they make void the word of God, making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down many such things that you do. And so we've got to be very careful, you guys. And the things that we say, this is my conviction, these are my traditions, to make sure that they don't overpower what Jesus has to say, what Scripture has to say. Sometimes we assume because of the traditions that we grew up with or the traditions that we follow right now that it's in the Bible. It's what Jesus has called us to do. And I think it's important to to take a look at where you are and to say, how do I worship Christ? How do I function in community with Jesus Christ? How How do I go about mission for Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ? And to look at how your traditions, how the things you grew up with, how they affect that, or even new traditions that maybe you're, you're exploring to be able to say, all right, God, I want to clearly know where are the things that you've prescribed and to know also these are things that you haven't prescribed from Scripture, but you've placed on my heart. And then to be very free, be very free to follow that. In fact, you can be very free to preach it. Be very, pre- very free to be able to tell others, you know what, this is something God has, has shown me. And it's not necessarily, it's from, we, don't, we can't read it directly from Scripture, but man, this is where God's leading me and, and, and the way that I understand who God is and the way that, that um, we go about community and the way that we do mission together. And others, others will catch on. I mean, some of you are leaders. and I mean, you're a contagious person. And others just jump in where you're at. And, and it's awesome. Just be very careful not to tip over the wrong way to say, what I do and the way that I go about it is the right way. Don't confuse theology with philosophy. Don't confuse theology with methodology. Let your philosophy be driven from your philosophy. I mean, your philosophy be drawn from your theology and let your methodology come from, from, your, from the philosophy and the theology. But be careful not to say, these are my methods. This is the way we go about it. And if you don't do it the way that I do, you're not a good Christian. You're not a godly person. You're not a holy person. Unless you seek God the way that I do. Unless you're in community the way that I am. Or if you do mission the way that I do it. Now, in Sojourn Church, those three things I've just mentioned, I mean, I hope hope that you hear it over and over. I hope that you hear it and just kind of, okay, Jesus, community mission, Jesus, community mission, there we go again. I hope that it's, that it's getting battered into our brains and hearts very well like that, to where you're like, I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. Because these are non-negotiables for Sojourn Church. If you get to a point where Jesus is optional to you, but you really love community mission, it's not the church for you. If you get to a place where you love Jesus and you like mission, but you don't really like community, you know, this is not the church for you. If you get to a place where you love Jesus, you like being with other people, but you really don't want to stretch out there and take risks for the mission of God, it's not the church for you. 
if that's what you're convinced about. If you're open to be convicted and changed, then join with us because none of us have it all together there. But they're non-negotiable, but the way we go about doing all of those things, God will, God will show us different ways. And so glean from one another and, and, uh, and, and ask questions, man. Ask, ask one another, man, how, how do you seek? Jesus. And, and what are your convictions about the way that life is to be lived out? And what does mission look like in, in, in your life? What does compassion look like in your life? And learn and, and, and glean. But let's be people of, of grace that we're not defining holiness by our methods. You hear me? Don't define your holiness or somebody else's holiness based on your methods. Verse 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever would be gained for me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and many such things that you do. Okay? All right, so now Jesus gives, he gives, he calls them out on, on their traditions and what, where their heart is, and then he gives an illustration. He gives an illustration uh, of, uh, of what it looks like in, in their lives. The, the story that, that Jesus gives here is an adult son. Most likely someone who's already a husband, a dad, who has a family. And the biblical command, and he tells it from Moses, honor your father and your mother, and also whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. I mean, that's pretty pretty heavy stuff that he's quoting Moses on, on the way that children are supposed to take care, they're, they're supposed to appreciate and take care of their parents. And so... What he's saying is, say, okay, you guys who you're so holy and you're so godly, you would tell an adult, adult man that, you know what, instead of taking care of your mom and dad, that big lump sum that you're saving to take care of them, just give it to us. Just give it to us. And we'll give you a pass. We'll let you know, man, that's a godly thing. You've invested in the kingdom of God. I mean, no telling what kind of language that they would use. Manipulation techniques and and tactics to where they would reveal their hearts of their own selfishness, their own agendas by taking the good commands and the good design of God and saying, no, 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 God will be okay if you do it this way. False teachers, that's what what they are. Corbin... um, it was a vow of offering. It was, it was this loophole that allowed a man to abandon his parents, you know, for God. What does God have to say about parents, family, and following Christ? Actually, Luke 14 records a shocking thing that Jesus said about himself and family. Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that sounds kind of counterintuitive to uh, what, what's being said here, right? All right, You're supposed to hate your parents. You're supposed to hate your siblings. You're supposed to hate 
yourself. What do you make of that? Well, he's not saying, he's not saying that you should, you should let go of your parents. He's not saying that, that, that you should, you should hate your, hate your wife. He's, there's a comparison that's being made here. That according, in, in contrast to what the love of God is and the commitment of God is, that even your second priority, which is your family, would, would look like hate. That's what's being said. That the difference between priority number one and priority number two, it's not even close. You know what I do? And, and sometimes family is not even number two in our priority, Right? But then sometimes whatever that priority number two is, or three, we'll let that flip over and become number one. And, and God, Jesus Christ, His mission, His glory, it starts sliding down the scale. And I, and I think what, what God wants us to know is, is that, look, your priorities, even though you can kind of list them line by line by line, the thing between God and anything else, it's not separated by just one return. It's infinite. It looks like hate compared to what love and commitment is. Because, I mean, Paul, he, uh, he continues, he continues uh, in, uh, in, in what Moses had, had to say in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3, where he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So he's saying to all children, anybody in here a child of somebody? All right, anybody? Yeah, okay. I see that hand. Um, that every one of you and, and me, we are to, as children, we're to obey our parents. For all of life, we're to honor our parents. Honor our father and mother. And, and that there's promises that, that come with that. That if we walk in that, that there are blessings that you may see or you may not even see. That as a result of the, the fruit of the way that you honor your parents, that God blesses you. And you can hold on to that. I mean, it's said in the Old Testament, said it in the New Testament. Paul said it. That it may go well with you. You may have a long life in the land. Don't say that, okay, if I honor my parents, I know that I'm going to have a long life. I know everything's going to be, be good. It's, it's, it's saying, look, there's blessings that come with it. Okay? You guys, you're supposed to leave and to cleave. But you're still, still supposed to love and honor your aging parents. And when you leave, you're released from obeying them. Right? You're no longer under their authority once you leave. Once you're, once you're a man, once you're a woman, and you leave, they don't have the authority to come in at, in, at that point and to tell you what you're supposed to do or what you cannot, cannot do any longer, right? So you don't have to obey them, but you must honor them. You must. And your parents, they may be Christians. They may even be non-Christians, unbelievers, you must honor your Christian parent or parents. You must also honor your non-Christian parent or non-Christian, non-Christian mom or non-Christian dad. You may, have, you may have a parent that is a Christian, but man, they've just, they, they're not following their faith right now. They've just, they've grown cold. Uh, you don't really, you're just kind of like, man, what, where are they spiritually? You're to honor that parent. Um, 
let me give you an example of what, what I mean by that. Um, when, um, when you've got a big decision in your life, um, though it's on you as an adult to make that decision, one of the best things that you can do, especially if your parent has fruit on the tree in that area in life, is, and you know what, Dad, Mom, thinking through this, I'm praying through this, would you speak into this? Uh, I'd just love to get your opinion. It doesn't mean you have to do what they say, but it means that you respect them. It means you're honoring them. You're, you're allowing them to be able to peer into the life that they invested in for so many years. You honor them that way. Um, Jesus uh, was, a, was a great model of what it meant to, uh, to take care of his parents. Um, he took care of his mother when he was getting older, and when he died, he turned her over to John. John nineteen twenty six to 27 says this, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that honor, from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. All right? Now that right there is the clearest indication without saying Joseph is already dead. It's the clearest indication that Joseph is already dead because otherwise Joseph would take care of his wife. So it means that Jesus, who's the oldest of the siblings, is saying, all right, look, I as the oldest am not going to be able to take care of her in the way that I would. John, I'm giving that responsibility to you. That doesn't mean that he was letting his siblings off the hook. They still were to take care of mama. But his role as elder brother, he was saying, John, I give this to you. So, so really, as you even look at future fruit of not only what took place in Mary's life, but I think even in the younger sibling's life, now you just imagine what the impact was of John as he took that role right then and of how he then plugged into the lives of the siblings. And I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but how powerful that must have been for John when he later on would have a conversation with the siblings and, and uh, that because I would bet that they were there when they saw their brother being crucified. And later on, after the resurrection, after the ascension, um, for him to be able to say, hey, you guys, remember when, remember what Jesus said to me? It's my joy to be able to invest in you, to plug into you. And it's also my joy to also be with you and looking out for your mom. Now, I just ask you guys this, man. If, it's, if it was that important for Jesus when, when he knew he needed to pass this on because he physically wasn't going to be there anymore, how important it is it for you and for me, for those of you all that you have parents that are, that are alive still? To honor them. And so I ask you this question. And the one that I'm I'm pondering myself and asking God to to reveal to me is, are you honoring your parents biblically? Are you honoring your parents appropriately? What is it that you can celebrate? Don't be beaten down necessarily by this. What is it? What's some ways that you can celebrate this? And it'd probably be good for you if you got somebody, another sibling, or or maybe you're a spouse, um, to where you say, give me some input of how I treat and honor my parents and then just listen to what they have to say. Maybe ask them, what's something that you could say where you could encourage me, that you could affirm the way that I, the way that I, I treat mom or dad, uh, but also to say, what's, what's a challenge that you can give me of a way I can grow in the way that I'm taking care of mom and dad? For those of you that your, your parents are already gone, what are ways in which you can continue to honor them, honor their name, honor their their legacy, even 
protect what God wants to do through, through that legacy. And for some, I mean, I know that there's just horrible things that took place in your life and you don't, you want those legacies to change and may it be so. But what are some ways in which God would call you to, to protect, protect the legacy that he does want to do within your family? Jesus continued on. Verse 14. He called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. He mentioned some things about foods in here. And generally speaking, um, my family, we like, we like to eat pretty healthy. We've had We've had different periods in our lives, a year or two, where we had different sprints to where we were just crazy, over-the-top OCD about health and the food we eat. But still, generally speaking, we, we, uh, we try to eat pretty well and try to practice moderation and all of that. And so don't misunderstand what I, what I say next because I think it's important. Our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we should be very careful about what, what we eat and how much we eat. But did you know that we can become very pharisaical about what we eat or about what we don't eat? Um, I mean, I, again, within this church, I love that we got different pockets of, of people and just kind of the, the banners that you hold up of, of health, whether it be through exercise or, or uh, whether it be through um, uh, reading well, whether it be through, through uh, um, uh, what you drink or what you don't drink. Uh, you know, it's, it's encouraging what I see. But it's very discouraging if you get to a point where you start, you pull that ruler out, you start measuring up against other people because of your method. Because of your conviction that's there. We've got to be people of grace. Again, man, preach it well. And say, man, this is, this is what I'm convicted about. And this is what I, where I want to go. And I'd love for people to join me on this or to, or to push back me you know, on where, where I'm at with all of this. Just be careful that you don't you don't define your acceptance with God or your acceptance with other people because of this is what I, the way I eat or this is what I do or this is what I don't do. Because when I do that and when you do it as well, we're just putting ourselves in the camp of the Pharisees saying I'm holy because of this ruler that just happens to fit me. <laughs> Some, it would be, I, from a perspective, one extreme to say, I'm so free. I'm so free. I'll show the world how free that I am. I can eat or drink anything. And within it, there's just a heart of rebellion, a heart of pride. It's a pharisaical. It's very pharisaical. 
And others, another extreme is just, I'm so holy and I'll show the world how good I am and how godly I am because of what I don't eat, because of what I don't do. And it's just the same thing, same pride and arrogance. Very pharisaical. And when Jesus is getting to it, he says, look, guys, I mean, he, he actually, the, the way that he said it was, it was borderline vulgar about saying, look, you know, what you eat, man, it just kind of comes in you and then it just comes right back out of you. You know, that second part, how it comes out of you. It was, it was pretty crude what Jesus was saying because he wanted to shake them up. It's like, look, it's not about what, the, what it is and the way it starts and the way it comes back out. It's not about those things. It's about your heart. D.A. Carson mentioned, talking about this, uh, he said, they, like most Jews at the time, thought of sin as a sort of germ, an infection caught by contact with others, by out, by, shared by contact with others outside. And he meant, continued on saying, this is roughly the Confucian view shared by many non-Christian religions. But Jesus taught that sin was like a cancer growing within us, both Jew and non-Jew alike. Just read this again and think about this. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That when our identity is wrapped around I'm good because I do this. Or I'm good because I don't do this. We are a Pharisee. The flip side of that is also true though, you guys. Is we can be self-condemning because we don't understand the gospel as well. And say my identity is wrapped up in all of my sin. My identity is wrapped up in all that I do that I shouldn't do. Or all the things I don't do that I should do. That our identity can get trapped in there as well. And God wants both those extremes taken and placed at the foot of the cross. Knowing that they've been nailed to the cross. And whether we think we're great because of what we do or don't do. Or whether we think we're horrible and unlovable because of what we do or don't do. He says, you are loved because of what I did. Jesus is the hero, you guys. Let's ask the Lord just to do a continued work in our own heart that as you see and look at what comes out of you, what the things that start in your heart, the way you think, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we speak, the way we act. That they're, they're all indicative of what we think about the gospel. Whether we think we're better than the gospel and don't need it because I got it taken care of because of what I do and don't do or whether we're so far below the gospel because I'm such a failure. That we take all of that and say, God, you died for all of those sins. You died for all of that defilement. You were condemned for my defilement so that I could be declared clean. I could be declared good. In a moment, 
when we go to the tables for communion, I want you to go with that in mind. That you go saying, God, would you crush me? Crush me if I'm on either side of that or the, 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 the Pharisee side of just, I think I'm so great because what I do or don't do. Or the other side of a false humility that says, God, I'm so horrible and so unlovable. That we would take both of those and say, Jesus, I mean, when you take that bread and you dip it in the wine, you dip it in the juice, that you just say, Jesus, you were crushed for my iniquity. You bore the chastisement of, of my wickedness upon you. And by your stripes, I'm healed. You take that and you say, thank you, Jesus, for that. If, if you're a Christian in here, you don't have to be a member of the church to take communion. By doing it, you are celebrating Jesus Christ. You're saying, I believe it. And maybe some of us need to just take that bread. And after, when you see it dipped, you might just need to say, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I fall on this side too much. I've taken the ruler out against other people because of my methods, my convictions. The things are unbiblical. Or the other side of, God, I don't believe well enough of what you really did for me. I believe, help my unbelief. God, um, help us right now to process through that, to worship you, to celebrate you, God, through, through this communion. I pray uh, if you would also help us, Lord, just to process through things with our parents. Um, there's, there's men and women and, and kids and students that are in here right now that you want to do a work in us, Father, to show us ways in which we're to honor our parents, to take care of our parents. and I mean, even as we think about future, the future part of where our, our, our parents need help, or maybe even right now, where our parents need help. And what does that mean? It's not an additional weight to crush us, but it's something to free us to be able to love and to honor our parents in the way that you tell us, Lord. Not the way that I say not the way that we even think of in our own agendas or strategies or the way our calendars or what our, what our uh, wallets say, but what you say. Help us to hear from you and obey you, God. Help us as we process through this in Jesus' name. Amen.